Well, aloha and welcome to all of you. If you're visiting us, welcome. If you are joining us online, we welcome you to our gathering. Um, as, we were, as we are studying this epistle, what becomes very obvious is one of the ways that Paul continues to teach us is through sharp, very sharp contrasts. Um, he uses language like dead and alive, alienated, adopted, children of wrath, children of mercy, old self, new self, fruitful, unfruitful, darkness, light, hostility, unity, wickedness, holiness. This is just to name a few. And today we have another contrast. Paul says, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise or not as fools, but as wise. Foolishness and wisdom. Two ways to go about this life, and both of them are strikingly at odds. And so when we look at these, uh, all these contrasts and how they develop through this epistle, we can divide them into two categories. The first one is Paul deals with our identity. He's been very clear throughout this epistle that if you are a child of God, your identity has changed. It's been radically transformed. Your story of origin has changed. Who you are is different who you used to be. For example, he says we were dead in our sins. That was our old life. And now we are alive in Christ Jesus. We were alienated by our sin, hostile to God. Now we are redeemed. We are adopted into the family of God. We were children of wrath, headed to destruction And now, we are recipients of God's mercy and grace, inheriting his kingdom. And so this is us, church. If you're a child of God, this is a description of you, of God's people. This is the work that God has done for us. And it is done all because of his great love and his great grace displayed to us through the work of Jesus. So that is our identity. And so if your identity is transformed, then your life, your walk, as Paul often puts it here, is to also be radically transformed, radically different. Who you are, your identity will dictate what you do. Often, uh, we, we have this problem. We try to do to become. We try to earn a status. And somehow we have this approach even to God. We say, let me do, let me earn my way in. Let me offset my sin by doing some good for you, God. Allow me to gain a standing. But that's not how it works in God's kingdom works that way in other religions, but not in God's kingdom. First, we become. 
by God's grace, we get a heart change. We, ha- we get an identity change, a nature change. He takes care of that. He takes care of the sinful mess that we have caused. He gives us a standing. He gives us access. He makes us right. It's all a work of God. Cannot be earned, cannot be accomplished somehow. But here's the thing. We always work. We do nonstop. And we work either for our flesh, for our old nature, for our old self, or we do and we work for God according to the new nature that he has given to us. The truth is, we always do, we always work. And so that's the second category of contrast that we've seen throughout this epistle in past weeks. We were darkness, and we did works of darkness. There's that doing. Now we are light, and we are called to do the works of light. Our old self lived to please the flesh, to please the world, to please Satan. Our new self, we are to live to please Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We lived in sin and wickedness. Now we are to live in holiness. Our fruits were unfruitful. Our works were unfruitful. Now they are to be fruitful these contrasts. And so over the past few weeks, we looked extensively at how God is calling us to live as his children. There was like some intricate details. And today in our text, if you thought it's over, Paul actually turns up the heat. He draws a line. On one side are the fool's On the other are the wise. And we see that not only does God care about how we live as his people, how we act, what we say, how we behave, but he calls us to do it vigilantly and diligently. And so we see this call to diligence in the beginning of our text. Paul says, look carefully how you walk. How you walk, again, it's a reference to our lives. Reference to our lives as a whole. It's all-encompassing. It includes every part of our life. And so Paul says, look carefully. And this word in Greek that he uses for carefully means accurately, It means precision. It means diligence. In other words, we are to live our lives with diligence, understanding what God has called us to live like. We are called to live intentionally with precision. When we look at our lives, um, we often take trouble over things that matter to us and are very important to us. For example, if you're in college and you have an exam that's coming up, you diligently 
carefully study to take the test. It's important. It matters. When we do business, we know that diligent, careful execution, it pays off. We can do that with important relationships in our lives. We see this in skilled labor. Someone can take a piece of metal, wood, or cloth and make something amazing out of it, diligently focused. We see this in the military, in preparation for missions or for battles. There's a lot of thought that goes in, a lot of diligence and careful study. Work, education, relationships, hobbies, diligence, and careful precision, even though it's hard. We know it's good. We do it because the results are often good. And so this is the attitude of carefulness with which God is calling us to approach all of life. It's all-encompassing. Diligence and careful watch is to be over our actions, our words, our attitudes, our emotions, our motivations, our desires, our loves, our sexuality, all of it needs careful and diligent observation. With all that we are to the deepest core of who we are. And so... Looking over your life, are you serving? Are you living for God? Or are you living for yourself? This observation begins with ourself. This diligence is to be first applied to ourselves personally. In the weeks to come, we'll see how it's, it applies to the way we raise our kids, how we relate to our spouses. This applies to how we relate to those in the church, in the world. God calls us to a life for him diligently. Verse 15, he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So to live our lives in the light to live our lives according to the new self in obedience to God, to live this way carefully and diligently is to be wise. That's wisdom, Paul says. On the other hand, to live haphazardly, to not take seriously the responsibility that God has placed on you is to be foolish, is to be unwise. And Paul's understanding and, definition, and the definition of the fool, it unquestionably comes from wisdom literature. It comes from Proverbs, from Solomon. And here's what Solomon has to say when it comes to fools. Proverbs 1.7, I'm just going to just rattle through them. Fear the, Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instructions. Proverbs 132, for the simple are killed by their turning away, 
and the complacency of the fools destroys them. Proverbs 10.8, the wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. Proverbs 13.9, a desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination to the fools. And on and on and on. The Bible has a lot to say about foolish living. And Paul himself, earlier in chapter 4, described to us the way of the fool. He says in Ephesians 4.17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And so the wise, they listen to the instruction. They seek to obey diligently the commandments of God. The foolish, they disregard God's instructions for their lives. The foolish are complacent. To be a fool is to continue on the path of evil. Fools are marked by ignorance to God's commands. Fools don't care. They despise, they lack understanding of God's will and of God's purposes. And so this is where we have to keep watch on our souls and where we have to be incredibly careful. Because familiarity with the truth of the gospel, familiarity with Jesus is not the same as actually knowing and experiencing salvation in your own life. Many claim to know Jesus, yet their lives show zero concern for obedience to God. Even worse, many presume on the grace and goodness of God without any concern for obedience to God and his instruction. God is gracious. He's forgiving. I can enjoy my flesh. I can enjoy God's grace. Even if we don't say it, often that is the attitude of many Christians. It's incompatible. If there's an identity change, There's a heart change, a nature change. If who we are in Christ is a reality, as Paul describes it here, our entire lives are to be transformed. Presuming on the grace of God is foolishness that so many people who call themselves Christians have fallen into. If you would open up your Bibles to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, we'll begin in verse 1. Uh, This is a parable of the the ten virgins. Five are wise and five are foolish. Parable of Jesus, he says, verse 1, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish 
and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will be since, since, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourself. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. I'm not going to break down this parable. It's a whole other sermon. The meaning of all the lamps and the oils, but here's what's clear. Both were preparing. Both were waiting. But the difference between the wise and the foolish is the diligence of the five wise to store up extra oil. And that care, that seriousness, was the proof that they were the true bride. And to the fools, he said, I don't know you. Fools show little diligence or care they presume on the goodness of God they don't take into account the responsibility that God has laid on us as his people look carefully then how you walk not as unwise but as wise making the best use of time because the days are evil Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so what follows are three more distinctions that set apart fools and those who are wise. How they use time, awareness of evil, and the understanding of God's will. Make use, make the best use of time. Uh, King James Version and other translations, they translate it as redeeming the time. Uh, And that's because making the best use, uh, that Greek word, it's one word, it literally means to redeem or to buy up. In other words, Paul is saying treat time as a precious commodity. Buy up all that you can. Um, it's like the housing market today. Uh, Houses are all around us, and yet they're a very precious and rare commodity. Um, 
anything decent is immediately sold. It's like something rare and precious and highly desired. When it hits the market, whatever it is, you snatch it up because it's rare. You know the chances are slim for you to get that again. And so this is how Paul is calling us to treat time in the very same way. Buy it up. I'm going to use another real estate example. I'm sorry, but we do, I think, have a lot of real estate agents here. Every other person in our church is a real estate agent. Everybody's trying to sell you a house, huh? (laughs) Or sell your house. Um, So it's like when you're trying to buy buy a house, you're in the closing process, and you try to make sure that everything aligns perfectly before the closing date, And if you run into some issues, what does that do? It delays the process. And what do we do? We try to buy more time. We find a way to extend the closing day because we want to get the deal. Same idea. Paul's like, be aware of time. Buy it up. Treat it as a precious commodity. Pay close attention to how you spend it. And here's the reason why we are to make much of time. In verse 16 he says, because the days are evil. Paul uses a similar phrase in Galatians where he says, this present age is evil. This epistle, we saw that Paul doesn't minimize the power of Satan over the present evil age. Although God sovereignly rules over all, including Satan in the kingdom of darkness, Satan, Satan's leash is pretty long. It's obvious we see that all around us. And in Ephesians 2, Paul says, You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Satan had power and control over us. He has power and control over the sons of disobedience still. In Ephesians 6.12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh or blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In other words, evil is very real. The influence and power that Satan has over this world is very real. And so as God's people, we are no longer under Satan's power, under his influence. We're no longer part of his kingdom, but we live amongst this kingdom. And that is why the days are evil. And so not only does Satan have power of this world, but Satan... And all of his forces are in opposition 
to God, to God's people, and it's an active opposition. Paul experienced it firsthand. As he's writing this very letter, he's sitting in prison. As the evil days of his time try to shut him up. Paul experienced beatings, stoning, imprisonments, all because he was the minister of the gospel. All because the forces of evil try to shut him up. And there are many ways and reasons why the days are evil. At the end of the day, Paul is calling us to use our time wisely and to be aware of evil because this is not a time of peace. This is a time of war. And war requires diligence. War requires careful, purposeful living. War requires that not a second is squandered. In verse 17, Paul brings us back full circle. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The fool, the foolish do not care about God's will, but they join in the present evil age. But to be wise is to understand that time is precious and it's to be used for careful living, for understanding of God's wills, of God's desires as it is revealed through his word. In our day and age today, opposition to God, opposition to his people, is not as direct as how Paul has experienced it. It's changing. We see that it's changing. We're still not going to prison like Paul did. But the reality of evil and the war against God is raging. Today, evil comes more subtle. Satan is more clever. He is more cunning. And so the call to recognize evil is more important than ever. Being wise means we are aware of it. We are aware when it's clear and obvious. As wise, we are also to be aware when evil is very intricate, subtle, scheming, cunning. We are to be aware of evil against godliness. We are to be aware of evil against God's desires, God's design, evil that's out there in the world, evil in our communities, and also the evil that is within, evil in our own heart. And so to be a fool is to play evil down, to excuse it, to compromise with it, to presume on the goodness of God when you participate in it. It's to squander your time on it. And so practically, as we think about this text, this call to abandon foolishness, a call to embrace wisdom, 
few questions just for us to evaluate ourselves, our lives. What area of your life are you not keeping a close and diligent watch over? Where are you not submitting in obedience to the, God, to the call that God has called, placed upon us as, as, God, as his people? What area of your life are you squandering? What area of your life are you squandering the precious time? What evil are you compromising with? And maybe even presuming on the grace of God. Where are you playing down or excusing or justifying the evil that is within your own heart? Remember, God cares about our life in its entirety. Actions, words, attitudes, emotions, motivations, desires, our sexuality, our loves, our responsibilities in our personal life, in the life of the church, as families, as communities. In all of these things, God calls us to be diligent, to be aware where we squander time, to be aware of evil. And so as we think about this, I'm just going to throw a very, very practical example. Very practical example. We're going to do an exercise together. Uh, if you can all pull out your phones. Uh, this is only going to work if you have an iPhone. Uh, this might be an option on other phones, but I don't know about it. So pull out your phone. Unlock it. And then there's this great app. It's called Settings. Click on it. Uh, scroll down about 10 options, and then you will see this thing called screen time. And on top, you will see your daily average of how much time you spend on your phone. Lucky for you, the time has been reset this morning, so it's pretty low. But as you begin to scroll up and down, somewhere, oh, when you click see all activity, and as you begin to scroll up, there's, there's an option that's going to pop up to, to go to skip over to last week. And then you could go to the week before and the week before. It's pretty depressing. As we think about living diligently, purposefully, as we think about the way we use our time, as we think about the way we engage with this present evil age, most of us, we're honest, will come to find out that we break all of these commands with this device. There's probably no other item 
There's no other person in your life that gets the same amount of attention and time as your phone. To be clear, the phone is not evil. The phone itself is not sin. It's a tool. The phone does many amazing and great things. But with this phone, with this tool, we can also engage in all kinds of evil. Distraction, purposeless living, and wasting, squandering of time. Our phones, the iPhone, it ushered in the age of distraction. And not just from life itself. It doesn't just distract us when we cross the street. But it has distracted us from God. It has distracted us from dealing with the many issues in our inward self. Our phones are distracting, but they're also captivating. That's why we keep on coming back to them. They emotionally consume us. They engage us. They suck us in. But these things don't just distract or captivate, but phones are powerful tools that are used to shape us and to mold us. As we scroll online, as we go through the news, through social media, advertisement, as we watch influencers, these powerful voices tell us how to think, how to act, how to speak. They captivate our hearts. They captivate our minds. And this formation, for the most part, is not for godliness. But it is for evil. It's these subtle shifts and even if we think that they do not affect us, many studies have been done that even if we are aware that what we're seeing and hearing are lies, the subtle shift is happening. Let's be honest. Life is stressful. Life is full of hardships. And sadly, when we are stressed, when we are anxious, when we are troubled, when we are in the midst of hardship, Instead of going to our brothers and sisters for encouragement and for prayer, instead of going to God, we go to our phones. How many of you procrastinate on your phone knowing there's something that's coming up that you need to accomplish? In the midst of an anxious situation, how many of you find yourselves on the phone? Phones were never meant to take care of you, your inwardness. That work happens when you do life, when you share your problems with the church, with those who are close to you, with God. So often we go to our dear friend phone. It's an escape, a source of stimulation. It distracts us from the pain in our souls, the pain of others around us. It distracts us from the issues that we need to deal in our lives. It distracts us from the sin in our life. It distracts us from the goodness of God. God's blessing spiritually, physically. Parents, it distracts us. I'll be honest, this, I'm, this is all to me first. This is all to me first. It distracts us from parenting. 
It distracts us from loving our spouses, loving our brothers and sisters, caring for one another. Again, the reason I bring it up, like the reason I make this a big deal, is because today's day and age, our phones are where we spend such a huge part of our time. It's a massive hindrance to the life that, is God, that God is calling us to live. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time. Because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so in closing, let's be honest. We've all have been foolish. We have all squandered precious time. We have neglected areas of life and partook in evils of this day. We have all presumed on the goodness of God's grace and mercy that came to him at such a cost. And so this scripture, this word, is God's gracious invitations back to a life of obedience. It's God's gracious call to come back to intentional living for him and for his kingdom. And yes, what Paul calls us to is impossible to do on our own. To live wisely, not to be foolish, it is impossible to do this on our own. We cannot muster up the strength. We do not have the power to do it on our own. It is only possible if you have been transformed by the saving power of Jesus Christ. It is only possible through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so if you have not experienced the saving power of Jesus, good news, Jesus still saves today. Confess your sin. Repent from your sin by turning away from it. Believe in him as your Lord and Savior, and he will bring you out of darkness. He will bring you into light, and he will fill you with power to live for the glory of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, your word is like a double-edged sword. It pierces into the deepest core of who we are to expose us. And Lord, I thank you that you expose us not to condemn, not to judge us, but to convict and call us back to life with you. And so, Father, we pray, forgive us for our foolishness. For, forgive us for neglecting this call. Forgive us that we have been living as though we have not been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, remind us, bring us back. And Lord, for those who have not yet experienced the powerful work 
of Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would do that work today. Hear the cries of those who confess and who call on your name, Lord, and do your work. Father, I pray that as a church, we would be a people who are intentional, who are diligent in the way we live, that we would not forsake your commandments, that we would live in obedience, God, that we would be aware of the evil present age. Father, would you help us to do that? Would you help us to encourage each other to do that? That we may be bright, shining lights, shining the gospel, the good news of Jesus to those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.